Welcome to Weightlifting Yarns, where we chat about all things weightlifting in Aotearoa and all around the world. All right, team, welcome to Weightlifting Yarns. Um, I'm here today flying solo. There is no Ray Everest with us. However, we do have a really special guest, a man who I've known for a number of years, um, and that is Dr. Eric Helms. So I've known Eric for... I know it must be about five or six years now, I think, since the powerlifting days. Um, and he... Man, longer than that. Longer than that, you reckon? Yeah, I think 2014 or 2013. When was, uh, when was Commonwealth? Yeah, 20, oh, 2013, because we lifted to about 2 a.m., didn't we? Yes, we did. That would have been yeah. seven years ago, mate. Or so I think we shared, a, yeah. we shared a warm-up platform, did we not? We did for a while, and then you started squatting more than me, so... <laughs> <laughs> so um i yeah first met eric actually way back yeah that would have been the 2013 commonwealth oceania champs in auckland mm-hmm. um and i knew very little of eric except that he was an american guy representing new zealand um mm-hmm. and then i kind of got to know eric a little bit more as we went through aut um and eric was actually one of the first people who i watched doing weightlifting live um if you remember back to Sprint's conference it might have been 20 14 um i think you were doing a demo for adam story in terms of some of the like snatch you know like priming movements and special exercises and things um and i always remember watching you and just being like wow that stuff is so dynamic that stuff is so cool i don't know how he does that um (laughs) and i think we went for a train or something at like in adam's gym and i just remember watching all these weightlifters and obviously at the time i was pure powerlifting you know like i was 93 kilos back then probably it was about 15 kilos heavier than i think i am now um and i you know if i was to put a bar overhead with a snatch grip it would not have happened um and so just watching you do that and being introduced to some of those you know weightlifting athletes at um under adam at that time um it was very very impressive and i wouldn't have thought that seven years later we'd be sitting here on a skype chat about to have a yarn um, about weightlifting and yeah life in general I guess to do with with what why we do what we do with the weightlifting and strength stuff um, yeah, and obviously uh, we haven't finished introducing Eric yet because he has got a PhD um, and we actually graduated together from AUT in 2017 which was pretty cool um, after mm-hmm. kind of enrolling around the same time and all that sort of stuff uh, the other things Eric does, if you don't already know, is he's part of 3DMJ, which is a coaching team, bodybuilding coaching team, um, as well as science communication through 3DMJ and uh, MASS, which is monthly applications in strength science um, with Greg Knuckles and the team there. So Strength sport. You're so Oh, strength close. sport. Sorry. And you've sorry. even written for us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I never say anything except MASS, so I really don't know, or MASS. And I always now call it MASS because... I'm always talking about maximal aerobic speed training with my students uh-huh. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I forget about the extra S. That's right. Um, but anyway, I thought um, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a background in terms of how you got into the sport of weightlifting, because um, it's my understanding you started out in bodybuilding and then kind of have came into these strength sports. But weightlifting is quite a unique one um, and quite specialized. And so I just wondered if you could kind of share some of that background of how did you find the sport of weightlifting um, and how long have you been doing it for? And yeah, just that general background around your, you in the, our sport. Absolutely. Yeah. And just 
honor to be talking to you, man. It's it's cool to reminisce over the uh, the sheer experiences we've had both in uh, barbell sport and also uh, at AET studying barbell sport. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think back and when I very first started lifting, it was 2004. Um, and from the get go, I was interested in just getting big and strong. Both were kind of concurrent goals. I was actually training with some kind of self-created strength hypertrophy uh, blended program, uh, I think, before like fat came out, if you guys remember. Anyone who's around from 15 years ago or 10 years ago when Lane Norton was first talking about um, the power hypertrophy adaptive training, um, that's, that's fat, by the way. So anyway, I, I created uh, kind of goals that were both related to that. Um, I didn't have... I guess people need to understand the context of like the mid 2000s, like CrossFit wasn't yet a thing. Um, there weren't boxes everywhere. Um, and if you wanted to, to do weightlifting, especially in the States, you would probably have to travel to some very specific gym, find someone who's a weightlifter and get trained. I just didn't, I didn't know how to do that or where to do that, but powerlifting was big and so was bodybuilding. So I did my first, um, Powerlifting competition in 06 and my first bodybuilding season in 07 and I always kind of fashioned myself a quote-unquote power builder or someone interested in both um, you know fast forward to me actually sitting down with John Cronin on Skype and going hey I'm going to come out and I'm going to do uh, my, my graduate work in strength conditioning I thought you know I need to get a little more broader base of of lifting weights and uh, there's a guy named Chip Conrad who has a gym called Body Tribe in Sacramento, where I lived. And he is kind of an all-around strength athlete. He's in his late 40s. He's documented strongman. He's competed in lightweight strongman. He's competed in, in powerlifting, competed in weightlifting, competed in another thing that has the same acronym, mass, mass wrestling, which is a, a stick-based wrestling where you put your feet against this partition between the two of you. Um, he's done it all. Um, kettlebells, traveled the world, yoga, you name it. He's just kind of the renaissance man of, of, uh, of, of athleticism and strength sport. So anyway, I, he, he's a friend of mine. He used to host Powelton Gates locally. So in 2000, I want to say early 2012, I got my USAW certification. So that was my first real exposure to kind of weightlifting programming and the science. And that was about maybe three or four months after I started working with Chip to learn the basics of Olympic weightlifting because um, I wanted to come out to New Zealand and have a little broader base as I got into SNC because I pretty much was just like completely focused on powerlifting and, and bodybuilding and I want to be a little more holistic. Um, and then I started working with Adam Story. He became the secondary supervisor on my PhD after I finished my MPhil um, and then I joined the weightlifting team and I tried to do a blended weightlifting powerlifting approach. Um, basically all of 2013, 2014. Um, and that was a challenge. Um, and it's only now, and I kind of left it in 2014 weightlifting just cause I couldn't, I had a hip issue and I, I didn't have mobility and I wasn't making a lot of progress. I was very frustrated. Um, and I kind of got the spark again about a year or year, two years ago, started to come back into it and I got a pretty bad neck injury. And I was like, all right, look, I'm too, I'm too flipping old. I can't do this. Um, and then this year, after I completed my bodybuilding season in 2019, I was like, you know what? We need to give this a, like a proper crack. 
and sat down with Stas Chaleyev, who's a two-time Silver Commonwealth uh, uh, Games finalist, a good friend of mine, um, and just a great guy, uh, a knowledgeable coach. And he's been studying this stuff and lifting since he was a, a child. Um, we formulated a plan, and we have been working on it for since the beginning of the year. And I just competed at Functional just a few days before we went back to lockdown, thank, thank, thankfully. Um, and yeah, I'm targeting weightlifting nationals, or master's nationals, I should say, um, which unfortunately, unlike powerlifting, is 35 plus, not 40 plus. So I'm technically a master's athlete in October. <laughs> so yeah, that's the story so, now. So you first competed in weightlifting, was it 2013 or 2014? 2013. I did, um, let's see, I did three meets. And just to give people an idea of how easily impressed Hayden was before he actually understood <laughs> what real weightlifting looked like, I would power snatch in competitions because my power snatch was a higher number than my actual snatch. So I had the exact opposite uh, goal of what everyone's trying to do in their snatching of I would catch it higher and higher and higher as the weight went instead of lower and lower and lower. Um, I also didn't have a very good jerk. Uh, a lot of that's mobility, but I'm still working on that, just not having shoulder flexion with a narrower grip. Uh, but some of it was also timing. Like if you watch the videos of me jerking back then, I would almost always lose bar contact on the dip, uh, and then it would kind of lose my rhythm. Uh, so I had, I had cleaned 135 in training, but the best jerk I ever did was once from blocks uh, 115. My best comp numbers was at 86, 114. So I totaled 200 in the old 94 kilo class. And that was a power snatch, power clean and bad jerk. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that was bad, me. Bad jerk, but the elbows stayed locked out. Uh, enough. I got two whites. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Um, and you kind of touched on something that I wanted to, I wanted to get to. I was thinking we might get to that a little bit later, but I mm. figure since you've mentioned it, perhaps we can kind of um, go into that because for a lot of people who may come into weightlifting from something like powerlifting or bodybuilding, um, those ranges of motion that you have to get into and the positions that you have to achieve, it can be quite a challenge. Um, yep. And I think as you, you mentioned there about the age side as well, you know, coming into it later, having not been exposed to these movements, um, it does make it a, a completely different challenge. I mean, and that, that challenge is one of the things I enjoy is that there's always mm -hmm. something to try and improve it within weightlifting. You know, you can't just focus on your programming. It kind of has to be the movement is such a big focus on it as well. And if you don't get the movement right, the programming is almost meaningless. Um, but I just sort of wondered with, with that mobility stuff, I've seen some posts you've had on Instagram where you've had the odd person being like, it's, it's pointless. You don't need to work on your mobility. Um, perhaps you could just delve a little bit into with the mobility side kind of, the strategies you might have used to enhance and achieve these positions a bit better because I imagine you're not the only guy that power snatches more than he full snatches because he's more confident um, yeah. without having to go into the bottom position. Yeah, absolutely. It, it quite literally took me until last month um, after all of the, the, like the three periods of time when I had to wait the thing, like cumulative training of maybe four years now, um, maybe three and a half. I would say four. Um, before I did what would actually qualify as a snatch, you know, um, like where I'm not catching it high and writing it down. Um, when I would try to catch it low previously, even under Adam, after a couple years, it would basically just spit me out immediately because I just didn't, I couldn't keep shoulder flexion. 
in that, uh, even with a wide grip, uh, in, in a deep squat. And now I can, um, and that's something I'm pretty comfortable doing. I can do a SOTS press, not the real one, but the fake one, you know, the one with a snatch grip behind your neck. Greg Everest of Catalyst Athletics would, would definitely correct me and say it's a true SOTS press is a press from the clean position in a deep squat, yeah. which is way harder. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the, the people who, who criticize some of my <laughs> suggestions about mobility work or just, I didn't even actually advise it. I just said, here's what I'm doing. They weren't <laughs> Olympic weightlifters, yeah. you know? Um, and it's just something that you can't fully understand. And like you said, it does make the programming null and void because there's this cascade of stuff that happens when you can't get in the right position. So for example, if you don't have proper shoulder flexion in a jerk, you're gonna you're gonna have to like dump your 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 lumbar into lordosis. So you're doing less incline, and that shifts your center of gravity forward. So if you would watch me jerk, and it still happens, but to a lesser degree, I move forward and my my front knee starts to bend and I lose it. Um, mm. I also tend to tweak my back. You know, um, I also don't have full elbow extension. So when my shoulders are in this jacked up incline, you know, no no good valsalva because I've got this huge, you know, chest lift, it's really, really hard to be strong in that position. So you have to find some way to, to improve those positions. And then everything else in the chain starts to fall into place. So for me, it's been a combination of uh, pretty intensive static stretching on my off days. Um, it's been a co combination of getting specific sports massage with flexibility components. But I think those are lesser effective, but still important components to the overall plan. And the overall plan is a lot more about active range of motion because it's not, it's not, 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 not that, not that yoga doesn't require strength, but when you get into the end range of motion in yoga, what do you do? You relax into it. You breathe. When you get to the end range of motion of the jerk, you need to slam your feet into the ground and punch into a bar that if you're actually good is far more than your body weight and then recover from a, a split position or maybe a squat position. If you're of, of the Chinese weightlifter persuasion, you know, and that's just something you can't do with passive mobility. So a lot of the work I've done has been informed by some of the folks I have connections with in the industry, Quinn Hennock, uh, of uh, a clinical athlete, um, also Dean Somerset, who works with a lot of weightlifters out of Canada. He, he's, he's, uh, good on mobility. Um, as well as, uh, some of my friends, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, there, there's, Ben and he introduced me to, to Zach Couples, um, and the, all these these PTs have been kind of like helping me to try to figure out how to work around it. And some of the things that have worked quite well are weighted pullovers while keeping my abs down, so I can actually be strong in that deep position. Um, jerk recoveries have been pretty important, where you kind of wedge yourself into the position. For me, at the end range of my shoulder flexion, and then have to lift something that is close to what my jerk would be, or even above it, without you know, losing the, uh, the shoulder and elbow position that teaches your body. Well, I need to be strong here. I don't just need to get here relaxed on a foam roller or with someone on a massage table, stretching me to that position. So the combination of those two things, um, is, is a challenge, but it is, it's truly something I work on daily. Um, before every session, I'll be doing a series of different stuff, uh, to kind of access those ranges, specific to snatches or clean and jerks that I get into each time. Um, and, and then, you know, it's just kind of constant stretching on the off days. So I'm fortunate in that ever since I got hip surgery back in 2017, um, 
my lower body mobility has been great. I have pretty good dorsiflexion. I've got pretty good hip flexion. I have no problem getting my lower body into the deep positions, but the, the upper body has been a constant challenge for me. And some people have the opposite problem. Um, so, but I think it's not uncommon for people, like you said, who get into weightlifting, who didn't start at a young age, uh, or especially for, and I don't want to make broad statements about sex, but men tend to be a little less flexible uh, than, than women. You know, when I was, we had uh, Amy and Greg Everest, uh, Everett, excuse me, on, on Iron Culture talking about it. And Amy's like, yeah, I still don't do any stretching. And she's, she's an older athlete now. And, but she's like, I've always been super, super mobile, you know? And uh, that's just typically not the experience of like a master's male weightlifter who got into the sport from something else. So. Yeah, 100%. And that's kind of like the active side of it, I think is something a lot of people won't talk about as much. Like they might talk about, oh, you've got an issue at your ankles. You, you, you need to work on some stretching of the calves or Achilles or whatever, you know, the ankle region type thing. Um, but if you just do that and you never then actually teach your body to utilize that in the position where it needs to be um you can spend a lot of time stretching and probably not quite get that connection with well this is meant to be used when i'm in the bottom of a snatch position like i need to be able to access this range of motion um just having you know stretchy tissues probably isn't all we're after here you know there's there's that whole neuromuscular side of being able to utilize and be active in that position um and so that's one of the things i've i've kind of been doing more of when i do mobility work which has been less lately because i i prefer to kind of move through the positions and get better as i go which it's still a similar type of thing um yeah. and i'll still stretch the specific areas which i know limit me um but it's actually kind of following that up with something that resembles the sport and resembles the position you need to get into um just going and you know stretching your lat out or something isn't going to help necessarily that much unless you then um have the ability to use that new range of motion that you might have, even if it's acutely um, during the movement itself. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, I, I don't know if you tend to do your majority of your flexibility on its own, or do you tend to do that prior to sessions, after sessions, all of the above? Like what does that kind of look like for you? And if you had someone kind of coming in, let's say they were Eric Helms 2013 pre pre competing or pre training, um, is there anything you think would be be useful for them to bear in mind in order to achieve these positions faster than three and a half years? Absolutely. I think the, the big mistake I made was that I, I wouldn't say this is a mistake. This, this would be a compromise that I could have worked with, but I have seen, now that I know how much work goes into this, it's not a compromise I would have made back then, was that I wanted to do powerlifting and bodybuilding, uh, powerlifting and weightlifting at the same time. Um, yeah. And I think... When given that 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 real or that goal, and if someone is lacking mobility, you kind of have one of two ways forward. You can either just spend an exorbitant amount of time on these two goals, periodize them, have different goals at different times, um, or you can put one in front of the other. And that's basically what what I did with Adam is I put powerlifting first, learned the movements for for, for weightlifting, but kind of just accepted some of the, the the lack of mobility and didn't honestly work as hard at them as I as I know now I should have. And I think that's why we just accepted, you know, power snatching and, and yeah. you know, power cleaning and, and jerking with, you know, not great technique and the like. But 
it did become frustrating. I do think it resulted in some some injuries. Um, and if I had maybe partitioned out my season a bit more, so I had like an early weightlifting or powerlifting comp and a late uh, vice versa comp, I could have spent a lot more time on one and just basically maintaining uh, a minimal amount of you know benching and uh, and that's pretty much it for the for the powerlifting phase and and some other stuff like that. So so what I do now is informed by a lot of consultation with people who know better than I, have more experience, and through trial and error. Um, and I do all the above, like you said, in a targeted fashion. So when I relax into deep static stretches that I hold for a while, I do that on off days and typically not within close proximity to when I'm going to have a hard training session. You know, like I'm not going to do a five-minute hold and shoulder flexion and stretch my lat out on a Friday night when I got to go on Saturday morning and do a heavy clean jerk session. Um, but on my off days, um, you know, far from training, I will absolutely do just some straight up static stretching um, and just to try to actually get some extensibility changes. Um, that is, in my opinion, probably the, the least effective out of everything I do, but I do think it does something. Um, then before I train, um, a lot of what I do is stretching through movement because I'm trying to prepare myself, you know, just quote unquote movement prep, if you will. Um, there is a little bit of semi-static stretching involved in that, but for the most part, like what I do on snatch days, um, and clean and jerk days is I'll start with a training bar and then I'll put either ones or one and a half or twos on the end. Then I'll do pullovers trying to get a little deeper each time. Um, I'm laying on a bench pull, you know, chest up, back down, keeping my ribs on flared. And then I just try to narrow my grip as much as I can while still getting a pretty, pretty large stretch. And I do some partner stretching on that at the bottom with Stoss. Um, then from there, once I've kind of got that overhead access and I've done like some body weight squats and other warmups and things like that, and I'm mobile everywhere and are ready and warmed up, then I go through a series of overhead squats with the bar um, and then some, some snatch balances with the bar until I feel like I can really exert some force and power into the bar in the deep position through my upper body. Mm. So that's my snatch day. So a, a good portion of it, once I get that initial access, is then actually producing some 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 tightness in, in the actual movement itself dynamically. Um, on my clean and jerk days, it looks similar, um, but I do a few other things. I do a drill where I'm laying on my back, pushing into uh, the wall behind me, tucking my pelvis under, tightening my abs, and then doing alternating leg raises into like one foot being in a uh, like like I was standing, but I'm obviously like on the ground, lifting my leg up into kind of left, like the, the front split position. Um, and that's just kind of teaching me that, hey, I can exert force overhead, and I'm getting some help from gravity. Keep my, my core tight so I don't dump it into my lower back. Because um, now I've kind of got that, even when I improve my shoulder flexion for the jerk, I still tend to go chest up, butt out, uh, just because I'm used to producing overhead force that way. So teaching myself that, hey, you can split your legs, you can keep your abs tight, you can exert force overhead, and doing that on the ground against the wall uh, is easier than, than other stuff. So I do that. Um, and then uh, the last thing I do before I get into my actual clean and jerk session is I do some jerk recoveries, real light, talking 20, 40, 50 kilos. Um, and that just teaches me, this is what it should feel like when I actually catch this jerk. Uh, and then the rest of it, again, is is through the different warm-up and technical drills. Because yeah. it sucks, man. Like, if you don't address your mobility early on, 
you start to develop movement patterns that are compensatory to deal with your, your mobility deficits. But then they become their own spin-off problem on their own. Even if you fix your mobility, when you go heavy again, you kind of go to that place where that yeah. movement pattern is most ingrained so you don't die with a barbell over your head. <laughs> so, for example, if I was to clean a jerk 80, it looks pretty crisp. It looks pretty good. Uh, there's a few issues with it here and there. Obviously, I have a lot more uh, time to invest to get uh, more technically proficient. But there is a noticeable change in my positions, how how far forward I catch and kind of put my chest and my head through too much when I go to say a hundred, you know? So, so a lot of it is basically trying to find that the, the highest number I can get before I start to make those, those technical deviations and trying to, to bring the ceiling and the floor of those two numbers closer and closer and closer together. Um, because right now I, like if you put my, a, a limit number on the bar in a comp, there's a really good chance I'll get two reps because it's just not quite mm -hmm. there. Um, but, you know, an attempt before it'll look real clean. And, and that's actually what happened on my third attempt in my last comp. So the, um, it, I think some of the biggest challenges are not just how do you structure and, and plan that, that programming um, and of, of flexibility and mobility, but also like how do you stay motivated when those changes happen slowly and they require a lot of trust in the process and just keeping your head down and doing it and uh, that i think the timing of my snatch finally coming together has been really encouraging to me because it feels like oh it is possible like i can maybe maybe i can actually be able to do a jerk um so yeah uh the last thing i do is after training uh and also just whenever i have spare moment i do a lot of wall slides um, which are surprisingly challenging. Sometimes I have to do floor slides and get a little gr gravitational assist. Um, and that's just kind of, it's, it's, it's active, but it's not a high force producer. So it's somewhere in between the two. Um, and uh, it's, I think all those things together, along with some kind of strength work, like weighted helicopters, and, uh, band external rotations. I think they all go into the same pot of, of uh, what's helpful. So, I do a lot of my accessory work because I'm not trying to lose muscle mass and I'm not like I'm never going to do bodily arousing again. A lot of my accessory work is finding a way to make my accessories maintain those qualities for the other sports I'm interested in while also benefiting Olympic lifting. So for example, if I have the option of doing, you know, some bench to maintain my pec size and maybe maintain my bench strength or doing like a deep stretch position pec fly that actually stretches me into the position where I need to get to in a, in, in a, in a snatch and, and actually keep my, my pec muscle mass, I'll take the latter right now because I'm really focused on weightlifting. If I have the option of doing, say, a tricep pushdown, I'll kind of hunched over and just being right here, or being in full shoulder flexion and doing the overhead tricep extension, I'll take the latter, things like that. So it's kind of a constant focus, and I, I think about every decision I make in relation to how it's going to impact Olympic weightlifting right now. Um, I'm not benching at all at the moment, which is the first time probably in 15 years when I haven't been injured. So <laughs> I've um, just started benching again. So I've, I've obviously replaced you in the bench world at the moment. It's perfect. It's a zero sum game. So, <laughs> someone's bench has to go to someone else. That's the only way it works. <laughs> so that, that, that's pretty much it, man. I know that's a bit of a ramble, but it's uh, hopefully it paints a clear, clear enough picture. No, I think it's it's pretty interesting for because because you're not the only person that's going to have those issues and is going to have to weigh up those decisions because 
weightlifting, you know, there's a lot of people, as, as we said, that are getting into it later. Yeah. Um, and so it is probably a pretty common thread for a lot of people that may have done something with strength before, um, but may not have done weightlifting, you know, itself as a sport um, and may not have even seen the movements until recently. And so they've never had to ever achieve those positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of helps with the insight for those who may not necessarily be doing weightlifting now, but have kind of looked at it and thought that would be cool and realized, hang on, this this is a bit more challenging and there's more to it, unfortunately, than just picking a barbell up and, and chucking it over your head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so wh- one of the things I was sort of interested, oh, well, actually, I, I want to ask one more thing before we go there, because you're doing weightlifting and powerlifting. And I've had this dilemma um, because obviously I did CrossFit for a little bit um, through after my powerlifting, after I lost that bet with Jono, went to CrossFit for a bit and then ended up coming back to realizing that the barbell is actually what I love. And I've been, you know, weightlifting has been sort of, sort of it for me for the last two years. But I remember in that initial period where I was trying to do both um, aspects of powerlifting and aspects of CrossFit, primarily with the weightlifting side, I always had this little dilemma in my brain about should I be doing a high bar squat where it is going to more replicate what I need to do to, you know, receive a front squat or an overhead squat um, and the clean and the snatch? Um, Or should I be low barring because the force production through, you know, the legs is potentially going to be higher because I can achieve a much bigger weight on the barbell with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in your training that you're doing now, does that change when you're focusing on powerlifting versus weightlifting in terms of where you choose to position the bar or have you strictly gone to one position or mix it up? Like what kind of happens for you with that? And what is your thought thought process around that? Well, I've had the, I've had the benefit of experiencing both. So when I first did it, I was basically squatting like I was a power lifter and then I would do the weightlifting movements and I'd front squat as well. Um, and you know, I mean, that was when I was at my peak squat strength at that time. I think my best was 225. Um, and I don't think it interfered with the uh, the weightlifting movements, but it's it sort of doesn't matter. Like when you mm. come from powerlifting into weightlifting, you're it's a, you're going to have a long ways if you were even a few years into powerlifting before the limiting factor is your strength. You know. Yeah. Like Stas, my coach, I think his best squat was 230-235, and he could clean and jerk like in the 180s and snatch 150. So he was an example of someone that's highly technically proficient compared to his level yeah. of strength. And you know, I was in the 94 class, he was 105. So arguably, our squats were quite similar in terms of strength. Of course, he was like, you know, with a thinner belt, high bar, and I was low bar. So he was definitely stronger, but comparatively you would have expected me to be clean and jerking 150 and snatching <laughs> like 120, but that's absolutely not where I was. So I, I don't, I, I think in my case, it probably didn't matter much because this squat was not the limiter. Um, I wasn't, man, could have stood up with that 85 kilo snatch if I just had stronger legs. And I, that wasn't me, right? Um, my overhead position in my upper body definitely was where strength was lacking. But I would say if someone came to it cleanly, and they just didn't have mobility deficits and their strength and their technical proficiency were relatively equal and they wanted to be a power lifter and a weightlifter simultaneously, I would probably have them high bar squatting most of the time 
and then yeah. simply convert to low bar when they got within like the last four to six weeks of a comp cycle for a powerlifting meet. Because I find um, they convert quite well. Um, yeah. When I had my hip problems before I had hip surgery, there were a number of ways I deal I dealt with it. And when they were not as far progressed and they weren't as problematic, what I would do was I would go high bar or front squats, and then I would convert to low bar a few weeks out. And that actually happened before some of the best squats I put up on the platform, you know, only happened with like three or four low bar sessions. So in its most extreme form, I wasn't even doing high bar squats. I was only doing front squats and uh, some walkouts and some box squats. I remember back in... 2016, my last powerlifting meet, I squatted 222, and I had that year. That was my my third attempt was my sixth time low bar squatting. So <laughs> that year. So I think I think it doesn't take as much as you think if you're well trained to maintain that movement pattern. It can come back relatively quickly. Um, so I think you can take advantage of that as a weightlifter and probably stick to what is arguably a lesser like hard position to be in which is a high bar squat and like you said probably transfers better yeah yeah because i i kind of always one of the things i think with it is if you're consistently low bar squatting while trying to get better at weightlifting like are you reinforcing like a habit where that if you try and receive a front squat are you going to you know without even thinking about it potentially your body's naturally going to its its natural squat pattern if you're if the majority of your time is a low bar, which is going to be the shoulders coming forward, the hips going back, which means that you're more likely to miss or you're more likely to miss forward. Um, and so I've kind of always wondered because at the moment I've started deadlifting again um, twice a week, and it's a, it's a real interesting one because I have to actually tell myself that this isn't a clean. Mm-hmm. And when I first went the other way, it was it was the other type of thing, and so. I kind of think of the low bar squat in a similar fashion that am I teaching myself to automatically when I'm in a squat position, move to having my torso inclined forward or sorry, leaning forward, um, which is going to negatively influence me in the clean and the snatch. But I don't know, like you, you kind of, your body does have these sort of natural things that will go to when you do them all the time. Um, but do, do you think that's a potential risk with a low bar that people would end up in a bad position when they receive? I think, and cause it's, I think very much along the same lines, I think there's gold in the way you describe that. You said, when I deadlift now, I have to remind myself I'm doing a deadlift. Mm. And I think that in, intention is actually really important um, because that is kind of how motor learning works and that we separate things as these are different little motor pattern programs, right? Obviously there's variation in movement, you know, motor learning would suggest that adding some subtle variations makes you more resilient to maintaining a movement pattern when you're disturbed. This is a lot more important for team sport athletes who are reacting to things rather than just, you know, I'm squatting in Romalios, not Adi powers. Oh my God. You know, but, uh, but I think that the point is, is that, I think you would run into problems if you were not trying to separate them in your mind and being intentional. But I, I think very different things about when I set up on a clean versus a conventional deadlift and very different mm-hmm. things when I set up on a low bar versus a high bar versus a front squat even. You know, when I'm on front squat, my cues are very different. I try to lift my elbows when I, when I squat down and I'm actively trying to 
drive my knees out as far as I can. Um, while when I start a low bar squat, I purposely start hinging backwards with my hips. When I start a high bar squat, I think of breaking my hips and knees at the same time. So I think, I think the way to avoid that is to, or that risk, I should say, is to actively think of, I have a certain ritual cues and a set of ways of doing things for each of these separate movements. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think if it was, if it really truly was such of a huge issue, we wouldn't see some of the people out there who are actually quite good at both sports. You know, thinking of like John Cole is a great example, a historical uh, champion of like the iron game in general. He was quite good Olympic weightlifter um, and also a very high level power lifter. Uh, even played sixth in World's Strongest Man, I think, in the 70s, towards the end of his career. Um, but he, I think, had the, the highest super total for like 50 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, just just an, an incredible lifter who, you know, dealt with these challenges. And there has, have been others. So I think the key is to separate the movement patterns. Um, think of which phase you're in for which goal at which time. And that will probably tell you what takes precedence. Like if you're in a you know, a competition cycle for powerlifting, probably should put that bar on with your adults at some point. Um, but, uh, I mean, in all honesty, I don't know if it could negatively affect you. I do think you could minimize it greatly by really thinking of them as separate movements. Rather than you realize after three years, three, three or four years of not really low bar squatting, it sounds like you're just trying to talk me into doing a low bar squat to kind of see... <laughs> can can I actually squat more than I currently squat if I just whack it down my back, you know, a few more inches? Will I be fine? <laughs> yeah, man. Will I still be able to squat as much as I used to? Like, it's just because I've been high barring, and if I transition it back down, I'll add, you know, I don't know, 60 to 100 kilos back on. Well, I tell you this much. Um, <laughs> I found a very, very consistent 10% disparity between my high bar and low bar. And when I, yeah. I, when I switched between them pretty, pretty frequently. Um, it was kind of cool. And, and like if I threw my belt on, I would get another 10%. So it was like 180 beltless high bar, 200 uh, belted high bar, 220 belted low bar, and a 200 so, beltless high, low bar. So, so basically you're telling me currently I can squat over 220. You absolutely can. Just add 10%, whatever. You don't even need to do so it. You can just add 10% it and then another 10%. I, I don't even need to test it. I'm just going to take that as Eric mm-hmm. said that you can squat 220 plus still. 100%. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a good question for you. So you were, uh, you were, you know, heavily into powerlifting, very strong, competed at worlds multiple times. Um, when you went into weightlifting, did you? Did I mean you must have saw your strength decay to some point, and it didn't affect your weightlifting. Obviously, you got better and better and better. How did mm. you? How did you manage that? And are you now at a point where? squat strength is perhaps a limiter to some degree to what you can, you know, snatch or clean a jerk, or that's still just not going to be a problem for you for a long time. I, I think strength is still fine. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the funny thing with like that first phase where you kind of, you almost have to reprioritize because it's clear that being able to do a low bar squat 250 plus that's not going to make me snatch more. Like mm-hmm. if it was, I would have gone to weightlifting and been snatching more. Um, but clearly that wasn't a problem. Cause as you said, when the back squat kind of started to go down a little bit, 
it didn't affect the snatch. You know, it kept going up for a period of time there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I still think because at the moment, like I've I've been doing some singles at you know like a pretty moderate RPE, and I don't know at the moment I think I'm only up around one seven five. But I'm confident, you know, that if I went for a full all out effort, it would be at least one ninety. But I don't I don't know if I'd actually hit two hundred on the high bar. Um, but you've already told me now that I can I can low bar two twenty, so it's fine. Absolutely. Um, so like my my squat strength has definitely come down a lot, um, but I think it's hard to tell at the moment because I did go through like a bit of a weight loss phase over the last I don't know kind of since maybe the start of this year I've kind of been slowly gradually losing a bit of weight and I'm sitting about seventy eight kilos now and so I don't really know if this year specifically anyway, if I am starting to feel a little bit, not weaker, but less confident around my higher numbers in my snatch and my clean. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that comes from the leg strength. I don't think it does. I think it just comes from the fact I've reprioritized what I'm doing in my training. Yeah. Um, and that, at, you know, at the moment it's not my sole focus and I'm trying to focus on, you know, being injury free and, keeping able to do these things and re-experimenting with deadlifts and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I, I still don't think like even with only, you know, those singles at 170, 180, that's, I, I, I seriously don't think there'd be any problem with doing a clean, you know, still around that 140 mark. Um, mm-hmm. It's not my biggest clean, but I don't think it would be the squat that is limiting that so much as it is my priorities and my training and maybe even a little bit of body weight loss. Um, right. Like, I don't think if I go for a squat focus that I'm going to magically see another five or 10 kilos on my snatch or my clean. I think I would see that by adding in another day, you know, perhaps on those lifts or emphasizing mm-hmm. the focus as being the weightlifting at the moment. Um, but I think there probably would come a point that if I keep deprioritizing my squat, it probably will be that I try to stand up a clean and it starts to feel hard, which hasn't been my experience, you know, like if I do a clean, it still feels fine to stand up. It's, it's more the receiving of it. That could still potentially be what feels a little bit hard. But if I, if I get underneath it and I receive the bar, I'm going to stand up. Like I never, ever worry about that. It's, am I stable at the bottom Um, more than are my legs able to get me out of the hole? So um, yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And I wanted to see, I wanted to see like, cause you're a few years ahead of my, my weightlifting experience now. Yeah, and and you, you're you're a much better weightlifter than I am, and I, I was I was wondering if you were actually finally seeing that point where maybe the the strength and technique needed to rise together, because I'm so far away from me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I'm just at the point where I miss being strong. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why you know when I've sort of started to reprioritize things and doing a little bit less of the Olympic lifts in my own training. Um, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I can start to pull heavy things off the floor again and just enjoying some of that, you know, gains in those areas that you used to be strong at. Wow, um, complicated strength. Yes. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I think that's more where I'm at. I'm like, oh, man, it'd be nice to be really strong again. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to balance that, obviously, amongst the other things um, that are going on. And that, that's kind of one of those other things I was going to talk to you about as well is, Obviously, when you come to a sport like weightlifting at the ages that we have, um, we're not going to be Lou. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to be an Olympic champion. We're not going to be potentially even a New Zealand Open champion. None of those things are necessarily going to be 
what we're going to do with the sport. Um, but I was quite intrigued because obviously you came in 2013 and then you've gone away and you've come back. Like, what is it that drives you to come back to the sport of weightlifting? Because from all, all accounts, a lot of the stuff you've said is there's this mobility stuff. There's all these other focuses and things you have to do that aren't a barbell. And when I look at you from the outside perspective, the strength side and the lifting side seems to be the stuff that drives what you do. You know, you do strongman, you do powerlifting, you do bodybuilding. All of these things are about lifting to some extent. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you come to weightlifting where, yeah, obviously it is about lifting, but you've had to do all these other things on the side just to be able to do those movements. Like what, how does it kind of bring meaning or what is it that draws you back to the sport again and again? Yeah, man. I think uh, I have unfinished business, you know, and um, man, I will try to not turn this into a huge long answer about, you know, spirituality and, and finding meaning in life in general because <laughs> – because uh, I could, but I won't. <laughs> but, you know, if, if I was purely uh, outcome motivated and and I have been in terms of my in times in my life, or at least been, fortunately been self-aware enough to realize that's problematic if I want to stay in the game, um, I would probably just stick to bodybuilding. By far, if you look at where have I done the best, it is bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, powerlifting, I used to always joke like, Yes, I placed second in nationals behind Hayden, but the gap was pretty large, folks. Like we're talking <laughs> like a hundred kilos. <laughs> so um, that was a more just a function of it being before New Zealand really kind of came into its own in terms of participation for powerlifting. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd probably be at least fifty to hundred kilos behind now too. So yeah, well, e- even at my you, peak, <laughs> both you and I would, would probably not be winning the nationals at this moment. So. No. Um, and so, so obviously, if I was purely outcome motivated, I, I would just be a bodybuilder, right? Um, but I'm not. And I think I have been able to slowly kind of change the gears in, in, in my head to figuring out what keeps me highly motivated, dedicated, um, showing up every day and busting my ass, and what is my driving internal factors, and understanding that I just absolutely love pushing myself and mm-hmm. I like the expression through the barbell um, and the challenge and that continual ability to try to improve in some way um, is at the core of all of the sports that I do. Um, and for weightlifting, it's just such a unique way of expressing that in that I think – so for bodybuilding, it, it is this kind of – it has an artistic element, it has a creative element, and it has this kind of masochistic – like what can you endure uh, kind of quality where you have to just put your head down and invest uh, and kind of just put your fears at bay and your neuroses at bay for six months before you then look up one day and you go, shit, look what I accomplished, you know, all the while trying not to develop an eating disorder. So (laughs) it's, it is this, this very kind of uh, introspective journey um, that, that, that I can't do very often, but man, when I do it, I get a lot out of it. Powerlifting has just this raw, fun, kind of the 16-year-old me who loves the idea of lifting appeal. They're not complicated movements. Just go in there and lift as heavy as you can. Mm. Um, obviously, if you have a deep, truly ego, you, that, that doesn't go well and you stop progressing. But it is a, a programming challenge to keep progressing. 
And it is mm-hmm. like you, we, we talked about with weightlifting. It sort of doesn't matter what program you're following. If you can't do the movements right, you won't progress. But with powerlifting, the ceiling doesn't come down that much on what you can accomplish if you're not if you're not perfect technically or if you're passable. There's a broader range, and you can get to a reasonably high level compared to what you're capable of, even with not great technique. I'm not saying you shouldn't emphasize technique, but it's not the first barrier to your continued progress. So it's fun to program. It's fun to figure out the next way forward. It's fun to just be strong and push yourself as hard as you can to grind out a 10 second deadlift, you know, where you're trying to fight passing out. It has that kind of raw appeal of of lifting. It's kind of very pure. Weightlifting though is a, it's like learning to play a musical instrument or, or trying to do, I mean, I'm not saying it's gymnastics in terms of, of difficulty, but I think a lot of other sports require very impressive movement patterns that some people can't do regardless if you slowed it down, can't do regardless if it was lower load, can't do regardless. They just, it's, I can't reach those positions. I can't do that. And I think that is weightlifting for strength athletes. It is something that when you look at it, it just exudes athleticism. Uh, it exudes mastery. It exudes uh, dedication and someone who is given a lot of time and investment uh, into something for very little payoff. I think it it's like the chess of the iron game to the checkers that is powerlifting in my opinion. So I really enjoy the, the technical mastery of, uh, of, of weightlifting. You know, when I came to Stas, I think because he didn't know me, you know, as well as, as we know each other now having worked together for a while, but he was like, look, I don't want you power snatching a competition. I don't want you just trying to get the biggest number up that you can. And I was like, well, to be honest, I didn't really want that back when I was doing it either. It's just what happened. You know, mm-hmm. I, I told him, I'm less interested in hitting PRs on the platform than I am in hitting uh, just a high quality snatch, something that I could put on the, like the hook, the hook grip Reddit and not get torn to pieces, you know, <laughs> like that, that is my goal. Um, so the, I think more than any of the other, uh, other iron pursuits I follow, Olympic weightlifting really makes you be intrinsically motivated, process oriented, um, and, really just kind of enjoying the, the quality of movement and that continual quest towards trying to get your rhythm and timing and optimizing your technique and looking at yourself from every angle that, that has a certain appeal that, um, that the other iron game sports don't. And then that's what I, I want to come back to it. Like, I, I don't feel like I've really fully done weightlifting until I can look at a clean and jerk that I've done, look at a snatch that I've done and be like, yeah, that's a clean and jerk. That's a snatch. You know, yeah, yeah. It's I like how you describe it as checkers and chess. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's a lot, like there's a lot in that analogy between the two, um, and the the whole aspect of being process orientated. I think is something that I've had to really learn this year, um, because at the moment, like. I'm not in a position where I'm able to fully focus on weightlifting and hit my biggest numbers this year. And I'm not in a position that that can be my focus. Like if I went into the gym every day at the moment and my focus was to try and beat, you know, my 116 snatch or, or to get above 110 in competition or whatever it was, it's probably not going to happen. Um, I, I don't have the ability to devote as much time to it as I was would need to for that. And it's very strange for someone who's always been like competition driven and outcome driven, like 
And I don't think I've actually realized how much that has been my own emphasis um, almost until, yeah, until this year. Like I've talked about process goals versus outcome goals, but I don't think deep down I've ever really understood that. Um, and it's really interesting when you're in a position where you aren't going to win and you aren't going to be better, um, but you can still turn up. And you can still improve, as you say, like the fluidity of your movements or what that looks like. You can still emphasize those things and get better at those things without necessarily having to beat a PR or a lifetime best. Um, and yeah, it's, it's very strange. Like just you talking about that is just making me reflect on sort of this year of my training and what, what am I really doing it for? Um, because I, I keep lifting and I'm, I'm very unlikely in 2020 to get a PB on anything that I care about, you know, like not going to PB my squat. I'm not going to PB my bench deadlift. Definitely probably, you know, not this year, <laughs> all of those things. It's like, but yet we still keep coming to lift. Um, and yeah, I, I've always enjoyed your example and like watching what you do and how you carry yourself and how you will do some of this focus time on powerlifting you do a bodybuilding show next next minute you're picking up heavy stones off the ground doing strongman um and all the while from the outside it appears like you're having a great time and enjoying all of it um and yeah i just think there's something to that like because the sport of weightlifting we can't all be the champion and we're highly unlikely any of us are going to achieve a lift that is perfect you know um or near perfect no one's ever going to be perfect but you know what i mean um, mm -hmm. that, that resembles something like what you might see on hook grip. That's, it's an ambitious goal. <laughs> um, even for someone who isn't snatching, you know, 160, if you're snatching 60, even to move that in that manner is very, very difficult. Um, but I think that's what I've found in, in the weightlifting side myself as well, is I'm able to focus more on the movement quality. I'm able to focus more on these little technical things, which keep me having an emphasis for improvement. Whereas if I was squatting and, you know, solely focusing on my squat, I feel like there is the potential to more easily become focused on and emphasize just the number. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, doing a technically passable, I guess, squat isn't super challenging for most people. They can get to that level and they can do that. Um, but to do a technically sound snatch, that's, that's pretty challenging regardless of what weight you've got on the bar. Um, and to take nothing away from powerlifting, obviously, um, you yeah. know, I love the sport and I still, you know, I'm happy working with people within the sport and I, I enjoy seeing people push themselves and get better in whatever they choose. But yeah, there's a very different game, um, mm -hmm. the weightlifting versus the powerlifting. And yeah, I think that that technical aspect and that challenge is one of the parts that's kept me enthused about it and has also been one of the reasons why I've loved getting into coaching it is because I'm always learning. I'm never... <laughs> I'm never static or I never feel like I'm not doing something or having to try something different or experiment or see what I could do or what, what movement or accessory exercise could I add in to try and change a movement. Um, and that, yeah, that's kind of the fun of it. It's almost like a problem solving challenge for me. Um, yeah. Sorry. I've gone off and talked about me here, but. <laughs> no, I, but I, I related to everything you're saying that problem solving aspect, obviously the, we started this podcast talking about how, you know, not only am I trying to solve maybe bad habits of poor technical execution that I'm trying to, and successfully to give myself some credit, uh, changing, but I'm trying to problem solve the limits of my, my, my prior body. 
you know, mm. the body that I brought to the table. So I think, I think one thing, one of the reasons why, and I, I'm glad to hear this, that I exude enjoyment when I do this stuff is because I'm not just like a fair weather, oh, let's try strongman, let's do this, you know? Mm. When I actually commit to doing a competition, I, or a goal, I invest a lot of time and energy into it. And a lot of frustration comes from that. I think if, maybe if I, maybe it would be a more accurate representation if on like my social media, I recorded one of the days where I just could not put together a good lift the whole freaking session. You know, and missed the same the same attempt five times in a row, and then left the gym incredibly frustrated and just trying not to to drive dangerously. You know, um, because those moments they directly feed into the amount of enjoyment I get out of it when when things do come out, and they yeah. drive me to keep working at it. Um, and my personality just doesn't let me accept defeat unless I've really given it a good crack. And that's yeah. why I came yeah. back to weightlifting in the first place. Is I just didn't feel like I gave it a real fair effort back when I was, you know, doing it in 2013 and 2014. So yeah, that, that, that investment, that problem solving that you're talking about and kind of exploring what your relationship with it is means that when things do pay off, it, it can mean a lot and it can be mm -hmm. very rewarding. So you keep coming back to it. Yeah. 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 And I think like, the the whole aspect of challenging yourself comes into it as well like it's not an easy pursuit it's not something that you just walk in and, and in three weeks you've got you know to a level where you're you're happy with it and you're happy with your movement in three weeks you're probably 10 percent better and you realize how far you've still got to go but that keeps you realizing if i if i stop now i'm never going to get there like i can't stop after three weeks i literally will need to commit to this for years you know to see any real significant change in how i move or in how i get it and i talk a lot with my athletes you know about the long game because as you say it's it's easy to get frustrated with a bad session but the ones who you know are successful at this they haven't come along and, and got to where they are within six months you know like there's I, I would argue that there's probably no one that's come into weightlifting and absolutely smashed it you know at a, at a high national or international level in a very, very short time frame, you know, it's normally a matter of years. Um, and whether that be that they're doing it as part of something else prior and then switch across, and yes, they do see that success. But I think, yeah, if you're going to be the best, you're going to have to really be focused and committed on it for quite a long time. Um, totally. And yeah, I mean, that's probably, you can say that probably about any <laughs> any endeavor really. Um, but I don't know, there's just something unique about it and something something quite different, which I think when I first got into powerlifting, you mentioned about the technical aspects being a little bit easier to master and we can focus more on the, the programming aspect to try and seek those gains. Um, and I think one of the reasons, one of the other reasons why I've stuck to the weightlifting side is because there was no one to teach me those things. Like you had Chip um, when you were first kind of thinking about getting into this and, and learning it for the purpose of being a better S&C. Um, but, I, you know, in Palmy there was no one. Um, and so that's always been one of my motivating things as well since I found the sport was to try and make it a bit more accessible, uh, make it something people can try and at least have a taste of um, because it is hard without the guidance. Eh? Like it's a very, it's a sport where coaches are very much a useful thing to have. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I mean, I, online coaching for weightlifting is it's a huge challenge. With the powerlifting, <laughs> it's like 
yeah, I guess it'd be nice to have you there sometimes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of my last, my last sort of question or thought that I wanted to ask you about because often, you know, when Ray and I are talking on this, on this show, we've talked to a lot of coaches, we've talked to some athletes, um, and we've talked about that whole coach-athlete dynamic within the sport. Um, and so I just wondered if you could kind of share some of the things that you've had with those different coaches. So you've had Chip, you've had Adam, um, and you've had Stas as well now. Um, like, what is it that, that you've found of value from those coaches that potentially if we have some coaches that are listening as well, you know, what are some sort of lessons that they could have for the average guy who comes in and, sorry to call you average guy, <laughs> who yeah. comes in and, you know, That's a step they, where I put myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, they just want to get better at this thing. And, and, you know, what are the sort of lessons that you've learned or things that they've brought to the table that have made you stay in and keep coming back to it? Because that for me is, is a big win as if an athlete that I have, you know, they don't have to necessarily continue to be with me. But if they continue to be involved in the sport, I feel like I have been successful um, in that. So what, what is it there that the coaches have done that have bettered you as an athlete, but also made you continue to be interested in the sport and getting better at the sport? For sure. Yeah, I think um, each one of them met me where I was at at the time. I think, uh, so for example, you know, Chip knew that it was going to be like six weeks before I left for New Zealand. And... Um, he knew that I was a bodybuilder and a power who was trying to have fun and he made it fun. He, you know, uh, kept it simple and he gave me uh, a really strong foundation understanding of it. And, you know, I think he was able to create a, a really good, uh, kind of baseline for me to conceptualize the movements, um, understand how it was different from what I was used to, uh, mm. the programming aspects, uh, the, the, you know, the timing and the physical qualities um, and made me look at motor learning in unique ways, you know, getting me to the, the type of cues you would use or the way you describe things are quite unique in weightlifting. And I think they need to be at least compared to, uh, to powerlifting. Um, and that was great. And, um, and it was, it was also, it gave me a really good insight into how individualized it needed to be because I did it with Barb, my, my wife. Uh, mm -hmm. We started, and we also worked under Adam together. And Barb is the like exact opposite problems for me. Um, she is hypermobile, can get into these positions, could easily drop into her, you know, her third pull and get under, get under the bar. But um, you know, and she's a very strong bencher. She's a good sumo deadlifter, but she's always had relatively weak legs and not the great, uh, not the greatest build for that. So you know, she actually was quickly limited by her squat, even after coming from a background in powerlifting. You know, she really didn't like Olympic weightlifting because it was basically like, we're going to remove all the stuff you're good at and we're just <laughs> going to give you a sport that's dependent upon your strength quality. That, that's, that's, that's not your best. Um, and you know, we always kind of have the grass is greener mentality. She didn't really like, I looked at her and I was like, God, if I could just have the mobility and speed under the bar. And she looked at me and she was like, well, you're squatting over 200 kilos. I'm barely squatting my body weight. So screw you. So anyway, um, so that was what Chip gave me. What Adam gave me was just a really cool insight into the culture of weightlifting. You know, you talked about what it was like to, to train uh, after the conference in, in the weightlifting um, environment. And North Sport was pretty cool when I got there, man. I, uh, I got to meet um, multiple Olympians. You know, I got mm. to train regularly with Tracy Lambrix, um, uh, Mark Spooner, um, 
I got to, you know, I hung out and trained with uh, Maddie Madsen, you know, uh, Commonwealth Games competitor. And at, at, at the peak of Norsport, there was just a, a ton of really good lifters. You know, Stoss was training there. You know, Cody, um, Richie and, and the crew that went to functional had just left, but there was still a lot of really good lifters in Norsport when I came into it. And I, I took, it was a really good insight for me into a different world of Iron Game. Um, and it made me challenge a lot of my assumptions, precepts, ways of doing things. And I took a lot of, um, I took a lot from getting that kind of peek behind the curtain and entrance into another uh, kind of silo of the iron game, which is great. Um, Adam was also welcome, welcoming and, and happy to work with me, even though I wanted to be a powerlifting weightlifter, you know. And uh, so, you know, he experienced, like, I remember when he first wrote my programs on days where I wanted to bench because he'd never programmed for a powerlifter, you know, he had everything listed for the buildups, the, the, the warrant movement before the main movement. On the days where I benched, it was just this block of gray text with like size 72 letters that just said bench. And, <laughs> and it's like, you do whatever the hell that is, man. I don't know. And then eventually it changed into, you know, him programming bench for me and it became you know, uh, experimental for him. Like he, we went through phases of trying isometrics and eccentric dominant training. Um, a lot of interesting things to try to get my bench to move and it did, you know, so it, that was cool. It was collaborative in that way. Um, and then Stoss, I think has been great because he's, he's very much at it. Like I'm at a point in my career, uh, as, as an athlete, as, as a man, as, as a thinker where, um, my goals are deeply meaningful to me. They're not like, I'm going to go try this thing that's out there. Mm -hmm. They, they come from within me. Like I'm coming back to the sport after four years, I had a neck injury and I don't know if I can do this, but I want to do it. And he's been incredibly collaborative, understanding, um, and very involved, you know? So when, when I train with Stoss, it's, it's twice a week and it's me and him for an hour. So, or, or, or hour or two, depending on, uh, the session. But anyway, the, like the, what he, he helps me figure out what the right intent is of certain movements. He asks me what I'm thinking. He gives me feedback. We look at videos. So it, it is truly, um, the most individualized coaching I've ever had. Yeah. And it is what I need. Cause I have some like, uh, characteristics and problems and barriers that don't often go hand in hand when presented to most weightlifting coaches, you know, being, the specific mobility deficits I have, the background I have, you know, the deficits I have. And, um, and also I have, uh, a lot of knowledge about training and a lot of ideas, um, that are difficult to apply to myself. And one thing I love about Stoss is, so for example, we're training with, with RPE and he's never done that before, you know, and mm -hmm. he, now he's, he's using that in his practice. So he's, He's looking for ways that we can collaborate to get the most out of me, uh, yeah. specific to my context. Uh, you know, so we use like a perceived recovery status after my warm-ups for each training. I give him a session RP after it's done, and I will use RPE to guide my loading. Um, and then he has some slots for for bodybuilding because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focused on weightlifting, but I'm not trying to lose my jackness. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we we think about where where should we put that? You know, the program's adapted to my schedule. Um, you know, we, we look at, you know, for example, you know, he's not used to programming bodybuilding. He doesn't know how much stress I'll incur. So he had some expectations around what the session RP might be after a day with, with three bodybuilding movements tacked onto it. 
Uh, and then when he combined the two, oh, it was a little more than I thought. So he moved that to a day before an off day. So like things like that. Um, I just had a really, really good experience working with Stas because I feel like I'm working with Stas, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, it's 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 really collaborative, and I think it's a, a great model, um, and it's been uh, I think very helpful uh, for me to make the progress I have. Yeah, yeah. Now that's cool, man. I think we're probably what well, we're over an hour now, so um, that's generally where we try and stick it without going too long. Um, but I think we've covered some good stuff. We've kind of talked about how you got into the sport. We've gone into some of those mobility challenges that you've faced, um, gone into kind of that meaning around mm. why we do this. Um, and we, yeah, we both ended up talking about that. So kind of why we both involved in the sport of weightlifting um, and then finishing with that coaches stuff. Like I think that's seeing how each of those coaches has been able to focus on you as an individual. I think that's a massive takeaway is that it's not just, here's my method and I apply that to everyone. Like each of those yeah. guys has really thought about you. Um, and I think that's a massive key, not just in coaching, but in everything we do, right? It's, it's who's the person in front of you um, right. and, and what can you do to help, help them, I guess, in, in whatever area um, that we are. But I guess for those of you who don't, those who don't follow you at the moment, where can they kind of find you on the, the social medias and uh, the like? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the good one-stop shop for, uh, any any like content consumption around the Iron Game in general is 3dmusclejourney.com. That's the number three, the letter D, and then Muscle Journey. Um, a lot of stuff there for nutrition in general, which applies across the Iron Game, but especially stuff for uh, powerlifting and bodybuilding and the podcast, the articles, our courses, um, and links to my books and mass, like you said, which I appreciate. Um, the only other stuff besides that, I would encourage people to check out Iron Culture Podcast, which is me and Omar, which is about the whole Iron Game. We've had weightlifters, strongmen, um, bodybuilders, the whole nine yards, uh, all on there, sports scientists, um, you know, just trying to bridge gaps between people there. And uh, then finally, you can follow me on Instagram at Helms3DMJ for more like daily content and some of my weightlifting clips, especially if you follow my stories. Cool. Um, and I just actually need to double check on Instagram what our actually Instagram handle is for the show. I actually can't remember. Um, <laughs> so legitimately looking that up, I didn't know if it's like weightlifting dot yarns or just weightlifting yarns, but it's actually weightlifting underscore yarns um, on Instagram. Well, and then <laughs> you can follow me at HJP method on Instagram as well. Um, and HJP method.com. But Eric, big thank you for coming on. Um, we, we've only really touched the surface on things that you could tell us about. Um, and so, you know, if you want to follow what Eric does, he does fantastic work um, in terms of communicating science that can be understood. Um, and yeah, he gave you those sources. So go and have a look at his stuff. If you want to learn anything more about nutritional training, he is your man and he is the man. So thank you, Eric. Uh, have a fantastic rest of your day, mate. And we will catch you on the other side. Catch you later, team.